0: This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play via the iHeartRadio app. Right circle Hayskin at right point, Klingberg shoots,
1: blocked, it's out of the zone, It's in the neutral zone, eight seconds left, Buckley Goodrell after it, time takes down, the lightning with the Stanley Cup, they have reached the top of the mountain, they are the Stanley Cup champs. Wow, that's all I can say is wow. What a job by these guys.
2: It was. It never gets old. Dave Michigan and Phil Esposito on the call there. Greg Linnelli with you along with Dave Mishkin and Steve Versnick. Let the celebrations continue today. We've got a boat parade that leads right into Ray J Stadium. And then, of course, the team will be able to share the Stanley Cup celebration with fans here in Tampa Bay. It's going to be a lot of fun. Of course, the Stanley Cup's going to be in Tampa Bay for the remainder of this whole pandemic. So why not have a big party? It got started a little bit yesterday at Emily Arena where the Lightning were able to uh, enjoy the Stanley Cup with family and friends and um, some special VIP. We happen to be broadcasting there live on Lightning Power Play. Steve and I, Dave was there as well. And it was a really cool event. You try and make up for not having fans throughout this whole process by doing things like yesterday, which was really cool. And on the Jumbotron, they played some flashbacks from the different rounds. And of course, every player was introduced along with staff and coaches and Mr. Vinick spoke and... It was really nice to see, and that's going to continue today. We'll have live coverage throughout here on Lightning Power Play. Phil Esposito will be joining us in the next segment. We'll talk to Phil about this run by the Lightning and so much more. And Dave, you were at the event yesterday with the family. It was uh, pretty cool to see, first off, actual ice on (laughs) the surface, which was pretty neat. And it was was really cool to see, I think, at least some interaction between fans and players and some cheering when— uh, we really haven't had that for quite some time. Yeah, you
0: didn't actually know this, Greg, because you were doing the broadcast from Shay Ellie, right? <laughs> right? The last, The last round, uh, I think they had the ice down. Isn't that right, Steve? When did they get the ice down? I know it was down in the final when they, when they had some of the fans come into the bowl.
2: I think they put it down like Thursday or Friday last week. So they started right. the process a couple days earlier, but it didn't get down until Thursday.
0: We noticed the temperature in the room – where we were which was in the bowels of Amalie Arena in the media room it got colder <laughs> and i i definitely needed my my jacket uh in the last couple of games of the series but yes the ice was down i thought it was it was a wonderful event and we're going to have more today i thought it was great that john cooper mentioned how and i think julian Briesbach talked about this too how they had the shots from the plaza and the bowl after game six projected on the big screens in edmonton and i, I think they may have even said after a, a goal because you know nbc was showing that so if if the stars scored, they would show you know the stars fans sitting in the stars arena the Lightning would score, they'd show the plaza where fans were congregating or maybe even inside the bowl. And, you know, John Cooper said that had that had an impact, like they felt the energy from the pictures. I thought it was really neat that they were able to bring that to the empty arena in Edmonton. And it was made possible because, at least on the Lightning side, that the Lightning... Created these spaces whether it was in the bowl or on the plaza where fans could watch the game as a group and and celebrate whether after a win or or after a goal
2: yeah it was and it was it was nice to see the players too in that moment because of course we haven't seen that for quite some time and I think the fans certainly had an opportunity to look at some of the players and You know, Steven Stamkos came out and said a few words, and you can even tell for him it's 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 a surreal moment that they won the Stanley Cup, and I think for a guy like him, relieved. And you know, I was thinking about this the other day, Dave, as we start to slowly get into that process of the off season a bit, but also to embracing the moment. You know, a, a guy like Stamkos, when you win a championship, whether you agree with this statement or not, you become elevated. In the eyes of many, you know, the knock on remember all those years when it came to Alex Ovechkin was best player not to win a Stanley Cup. And I had a bunch of national writers come on my show before this year that talked about basically Steven Stamkos was that guy now best player not to win a cup. And again, that's maybe more of a, a talk show talking point, but I think. Some of that gets factored into when you evaluate a player, particularly for the Hall of Fame. Although when you take a look at a guy like Stephen Stamkos, the numbers are going to play out that it's going to be hard to keep a guy like that out of it. Point being, though, is that when you win a Stanley Cup, it elevates your status. It really does. And I was thinking about this the last couple of days after the Lightning won. Whose status has been elevated the most by the Stanley Cup? Because I think the easy answer would be Steven Stamkos. But you know what? Victor Hedman's right there. John Cooper is right there. And I want to get to something Mr. Vinnick had to say a little later on when he was speaking to the audience. But John Cooper's won at every level. But boy, oh boy, when you have the disappointments he experiences as a head coach for the Lightning, there is that talk that, all right, can you get it done? And now it's interesting. You win the cup, and it's, hmm, he might be the best coach in the league. So while maybe that's not a huge deal for many, I think a lot of fans do try to to look at their players, and obviously you want to speak about them in the best light. And when you start adding bling and hardware to your arsenal in, in addition to the stats that you put up, it's a it's a fun debate to have, but it's also one that, let's face it, It's part of sports looking at players' achievements and their accolades. And now that the Lightning have won it, there are a lot of players on that team and coaches that have probably been elevated in status, Dave. So when you say status, are you referring to kind
0: of the national media slash kind of national hockey fan? By national hockey fan, I mean, hockey fans are are devoted to their teams. Sure. But... Are you talking about, you know, the 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 Blues fan in St. Louis is now, in in his or her mind, elevating John Cooper as an elite head coach? Probably like we might of the- think of Joel Quenville, let's say, in Chicago because sure. he won those three cups. Or are you more talking about, like, within the hockey community? I think within
2: the hockey community, more of the national writers and broadcasters. But, but know, that's all-
0: different. Like, to me, the hockey community would be other players and other coaches. But you're talking about kind of... The the people who cover the sport on a national basis and maybe vote on some of these awards. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Well, here's where I come down on it, and and this may not be in the mainstream, but it is what I believe. I never felt those criticisms of Ovechkin were fair or even warranted, and I I, I felt that before he won his cup, and I felt that for this reason, and I, I feel the same way about stamp goes. Hockey by the nature of how the game is played. It is very difficult for one player to literally put the team on his back and and like the Kool-Aid man, you know, charge through the wall and and win a cup. There are other sports where that is is more manageable based on how the sport is played or set up. I think basketball is is a sport where that is is a lot more possible just based on how the sport is played, you know, if if you have Michael Jordan back in the day or LeBron James more recently. First of all, a player like that could play the whole game. It's been done. When you are on offense and you have the ball, you can isolate that player. And allow that player's talent in a one-on-one situation to rise to the cream of the crop. And if you elect to double-team that player, and again, I'm, I'm by no means an expert on basketball, but I understand enough of the basics to understand that if you have elite talent that you can put on the court, that often can be enough to propel a team to greatness. And if you have two great players, then that's a huge, a huge advantage. Hockey is different. The only guy who plays the whole game is the goalie, and he only affects one end of the ice usually, unless it's Ben Bishop wiring pucks up the ice to start an attack, but you know what I mean. Even outside the goaltenders, who plays the most, maybe a stud defenseman on the high end 30 minutes, that's half the game. It means half the game he's not on the ice. And then the guys who are really the, the difference makers as far as production, the forwards, Yeah, They're playing 20 minutes or a little bit more. That's a third of the game. means two-thirds of the game. They're not on the ice. And those are for the players who play the most, right? So I think it's just hard to tangibly impact the game of hockey. It can be done, but for one guy to do it is very difficult. And I look at... All right, let's take the Capitals this year. The Capitals, by any measure, did not have a good run in the bubble. They didn't. They they didn't play well in the round-robin by their standards, and they got knocked out by the Islanders, who clearly outplayed them in that that first-round series. But one guy who played well was Ovechkin. (laughs) Mm -hmm. The one guy who maybe had the best series for Washington was number eight. And he could not really change the trajectory of that series. And, and maybe that's that's an extreme example. I thought the year that the Capitals did win the Stanley Cup, Oveshkin was splendid. Like, he was outstanding that, that playoff year. But he needs guys around him to, to also be outstanding, whether it's Holpe or Kuznetsov or John Carlson or Oshie who had a huge playoff year that year. Lars Eller, Devontae Smith-Pelly scored like seven goals or whatever it was that playoff year. Like, it really takes the whole team. So when when I hear what you repeated, which I've heard before, that, you know, well, Stamkos is not going to be X until he wins a cup. Yeah, that's that's a tough one for me because I don't think it's all on Stephen Stamp goes. I would I would probably make the argument more for the head coach because the head coach to the extent the head coach doesn't get on the ice, <laughs> but the head coach is navigating the the boat, right? And and trying to get his team to play well as a team, which I think can certainly help a club get to the promise.
2: Well, land. and they're the ones too that have the shorter lifespan as well. You're not going to trade a Steven Stamkos right. before you fire a head coach. Right. And you know, Barry Trotz is probably in that boat, which is an interesting the guy yeah. won everywhere he was. And then he gets that he gets that cup though. And it's like, whoa Right. Forget about everything Barry Trotz had done before. And now he's elevated. It's well, just I always like Barry. I, oh, I know you <laughs> have. I've
0: been on his bandwagon, if that's the right way of putting it, well, before they, they won have. the Stanley Cup. But here's the thing. I think John Cooper was regarded as one of the top coaches in the league before this year. But is he viewed in somewhat of a different light now? Maybe. That's certainly possible. There's no question Victor Hedman has been regarded as one of the top defensemen in the yeah. league prior to this year based on the fact that he's been a Norris Trophy finalist for four consecutive seasons. So I will give you a different name because I understand where you're coming from. And I think the guy who opened more eyes this playoff year with his performance was Braden Point. Mm -hmm. Now, I think in our area, we understand how spectacular Braden Point is as a player and as a driver of play. I think there, are, and that's why I kind of asked about within the hockey community. I remember Tortorella; it was either last year or maybe even the year before. And I'm talking about not the the 1920 season, the 1819 season, or maybe even the 1718 season. The, the The Blue Jackets had played the Lightning in a regular season game, and the Lightning had won. And all Torch talked about after the game was Braden Point. It's like this point, like. People can talk about Stamkos and Kucherov and Hedman. He's like, points the guy that that stirs the drink or however he he put it. And he saw it. But I think when you bring up that kind of national perspective, maybe people who who aren't game planning to play the Lightning as an opposing head coach or playing against the Lightning and having to deal with what Braden Point can do – Maybe some analysts who don't watch a lot of Lightning games or national media that that sees the occasional game. When you actually watch him play game in game out, you can see his level. And I also think that he elevated, if if that's a fair way of putting it, because he was pre- he was pretty good <laughs> during the regular season. I think he did get healthier during the pause. Talking about point. But I mean he's been he's been a top player in this league I think for several years now but given the stakes and given the stage I think he brought it to another level during this playoff run with huge impactful plays at critical times whether it was overtime or not just look at the first goal in game 6 I mean his fingerprints were all over this this playoff run so if you were to ask me like Whose status has risen the most in whatever circle you wanna you circle wanna life. look at? I would say Braden Point more so than most other guys.
2: Remember I asked you that question and I forget what game it was, Dave. You have the great memory, you'll probably recall it. Remember when Pilat made the comment he's our best player? Yeah. And we had talked about, you know, maybe that was Pilat. Right. You know, maybe not really meaning it, but saying it. Because yeah, I think you to referred Point to
0: Vasilevsky has. as our best player later. <laughs> <Lander. Yeah>. Right. <laughs> or maybe Hedman, uh, I can't remember. But you
2: know I've said Braden Point, I think, is their best forward.
0: Yeah. If you I, can, if you can, I think you need to qualify what best means, which you've done. You know, you've said, I think, I'm quoting you, but like, I think Kucherov is their most maybe gifted offensive player. Dynamic I, offensive I think that's player, how you, yeah. You yeah. Stamkos
2: now. may have the best shots. Right. Kucherov might be your most dynamic offensive player. But I think when you start talking about everything, I think Braden Point's their best their best forward. And and to your point, I think that probably got elevated more during these these playoffs. More so on offense. Right. Because of how dynamic he was. But you and I have seen Braden Point shut it down too defensively over the years. And we know that's there. So I th- I, I couldn't agree with you more on point. I think you're gonna start having these conversations next year, you know, when they have these awards. Point's going to be... And look, fantasy Fantasy has a lot to do with all of this, too. I mean, I I, I don't pay attention to a heck of a lot of it. But Brain Point's going to start being one of those guys that's taken in the first couple of picks when yeah. you start talking about best players. And sometimes that's a signal who's the most impactful guy out there. I think Brain Point's going to start being in that conversation with the McDavid's, maybe to a lesser extent the Sidney Crosby's, uh, Kucherov, who's already in that, that conversation, Dreisaitl, I think Braden Point's now in that bunch, and winning a cup and doing it the way he did it elevates your status in getting into those conversations, maybe quicker than we would have anticipated. But it's, it's a fun debate. It's all positive. It's not negative. That's the fun yeah, part absolutely. about when you win a championship. And all look, relating to good.
0: a guy like Hedman, I think people felt that Hedman was already one of the top defensemen in the league, so maybe they're not saying, boy, he's... He, he's still one of the top defensemen. I mean, right. I, I think that they're looking at him much the same way, except to say that his performance in this playoff reinforced the fact that he is one of the top defensemen in the league. So maybe it didn't change his status or elevate his status, but it, it confirmed the, the status that had been bestowed upon him <laughs> before this playoff year.
2: Couldn't agree more. Phil Esposito, the Hall of Famer. He'll be joining us next. We'll ask him about elevated expectations and elevated status after winning a cup. And if he believes that's true, he's up next on Lightning Power Play.
0: The perfect social distancing distraction for your lunch hour. This is Power Lunch, only on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app.
2: All right, Power Lunch rolls along. Big celebration today. Boat parade making its way to Ray J Stadium where fans can see the players and coaches and celebrate together together as the Tampa Bay Lightning win their second Stanley Cup in franchise history. Greg Linnelli, Dave Michigan, and the Hall of Famer, our special guest, Phil Esposito, joins us here. And Phil, it was great to see you guys. Yesterday, we were talking at the beginning of the show. It was, it was kind of nice to see the players and, and some fans interact with the Stanley Cup yesterday.
1: It was It was really nice to see them, and I really enjoyed the part before. Um, and Pat Maroon came up to me uh, and I didn't realize how big this guy really is. Holy crap. He's big. <laughs> and he came up to me with that beard. He looked like a mountain man. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, you know, we got talking and I says, I said to him, I said, do you realize not too many players ever? won back-to-back Stanley Cups with two different teams. Not very many. I don't know how many, but there wasn't more than I would say, oh, 10 maybe, that won two uh, Stanley Cups with two different teams. And I says, and you achieved that. I said, you're one lucky guy. (laughs) (laughs) And he says, yeah, I must be a lucky guy. And he says, so wherever I go next year, we'll probably win the Cup. (laughs) <laughs> that's what he said and I thought about that and there'll be so many guys probably not back um, I would say five or six and, and that's a lot on a team but that's the business it was just like I've heard Henry Lundquist has been completely let go by the Rangers and that's it's a business it's a, not a nice business when you consider that he's 38 years old, but it's the business. You got to move on. That's just the way it is.
0: Phil, right after the lightning won the cup on Monday, one of the first things that you said was how happy you were for Jeff Vinnick. And you yeah. saw Mr. Vinnick yesterday. I actually saw a picture of the two of you with the Stanley cup, uh, what was his What was his reaction like, or like just talking to him? It seemed well, like he was like a little
1: kid, so excited. I asked him, I asked him, had you ever touched the cup before? He said, no, never, never. He said, I've seen it, but I've never touched it. And I said, what was the feeling for you? He said, it was incredible to be able to grab the cup and knowing that the team won the cup. The Lightning won the cup. And he says, but I didn't realize how heavy it was. <laughs> 35 and,
0: pounds, right?
1: Yeah, 35 pounds. Unless it's gotten pounds, heavier. It is. <laughs> and uh, and he says, but no one told me that. <laughs> and uh, But he says, it was so, so humbling. I think the word was he used that this cup, for years and they finally won and this has been a process for him there's no doubt about it and it started about 10 years ago and it was to build the franchise that would always be in contention you know you're not going to win every year and we've been to the plateau what three out of six years or seven years and end up now getting the cup so Um, Jeff was very, very happy. Uh, You could see it in his face, and he was like a little kid, and it was fun to watch. It really was, because I remember the first time um, in 1970 when we won the Stanley Cup. We didn't get to do the things they do with it now, but when it was in that dressing room, after we got off the ice, man, just going up to it and hugging it and, Putting beer in it and champagne in it, it was something. really was.
2: When you factor in, Phil, what they went through this year and being in a bubble and still figuring out how to win a championship after the disappointment last year, do you feel like this was more impressive than a regular year? Guys trying to win a Stanley Cup, traveling back and forth. Do you feel like this was more difficult, or do you feel like that's a bit overrated?
1: I think that this might be one of the hardest Stanley Cups ever to win because of the isolation. 60, what, five days? Uh, You're in this bubble. You're, You're not allowed to go anywhere, not allowed to do anything. You get tested every day in a nasal test, and I've had that test. It's not comfortable, that's for sure. And every day going through that, the mental and I really believe that it was the strength mentally of the lightning that brought them through because it couldn't have been easy. I don't know about you, but if I'm stuck with 35, 40 guys for 65 days, I'm going to have <laughs> arguments. I said to my wife last night, I said, if you had a woman, a woman, 30 women stuck in a room for 20 days, how many fights would there be? <laughs> and she said quite a few. And I said, but did you, you never heard of anything. You never heard any of the players complain. You never heard of any animosity between the players and on any team, by the way, on any team. And that just tells me volumes about hockey players it just does. I don't think any other sport being locked up like that for 65 days, you would have heard some bitching and moaning without a doubt.
0: We're going to get more perspective probably as we get farther away from that winning yeah, moment. Yeah, that's true. But looking back on it, the four teams the Lightning faced, they faced the top three defensive teams in the regular season. Boston was one, Dallas was two, Columbus was three. The Islanders were ninth, and and we talked about this that they probably were better than ninth. They had a little bit of a rough patch, right from January into February, that that skewed that number higher, and maybe right. they were playing the best defensively of any of the teams when the Lightning saw them in the playoffs. What does it say about the Lightning's ability to win the Stanley Cup and and getting the cup? after going through these four top-notch defensive teams? Commitment, Dave.
1: Commitment. The commitment from the players and the coaches and everyone else was fabulous. You couldn't ask for more. And uh, for me, that's a very important part of of the whole organization, the commitment. And I... uh, I just had to – and you know, Dave, we sat beside each other doing all these games. I had mucho confidence that the Lightning were going to win the Cup. Um, I don't know whether – I think I told you once Once they got by Boston yeah. that I thought it would be a breeze. I, not a breeze, but because the only games they went six games – we're with the Islanders and with Dallas, ironically, defensive-minded teams. Um, and Boston certainly was, but to beat Boston in five games was unbelievable for me. And which four in told a row. me that this, was, this team was definitely the odds-unfavored in winning.
2: Phil Esposito joins us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. Which player, Phil? during the playoffs do you think really surprised you and elevated their status in your eyes? I mean, it's obvious to say point, and you wouldn't be wrong, but I came away more impressed with Barker Goodrow every single game. That was amazing. I have
1: two. I have two, Goodrow and Coleman. I I couldn't. I said to Coleman yesterday when I met him, it was the first time I had met him, and uh, I said to him, i got to tell you, man, I was so impressed with the way you and Barkley Goodrell killed off these penalties. That was so impressive to me. And I know that they didn't do it all by themselves, but they were always the first ones out there. And, you know, then Sorelli was great at it too. The defense was great at it. But the effort, the absolute effort, by Barclay Goodrow and, and Blake Coleman, was fantastic. Uh, and I was very, very impressed, and I told him that. I said, so that's all I'm saying to you is enjoy this, because you had as much to do with this as Vasi, Hedman, Point, and Kucherov. And he said, thank you very much. And I believe that. The way they played, killed those penalties. My Lord. It was fabulous.
0: We talked about this on our show yesterday, Greg and I, about the moves that were made at the deadline. Julian Breezebaugh gave a first and a prospect, Nolan Foote, to the Devils for Coleman. He traded a first-round pick to the Sharks for Barkley Goodrow. And at the time, a lot of people felt that, that the Lightning had overpaid for these players, and I was one we well of Dave. Yeah, I well, was. we talked. We talked about it like, yesterday, yeah. and said now that we're through this this playoff run, I don't know if you ask me, I would say that Goodrow gave more value than a first round pick, and Coleman gave more value than a pick and a prospect. And it was well, really about what they were able we to won. do to fill out the team, right?
1: That's right, and we won the Stanley Cup. I mean, you can't go any more than that. Was it worth it? Absolutely. Because they won the Stanley Cup. They got over the top. Completely over the top. You know with the salary cap, there's going to be players leaving and, and what have you. But both Coleman and Goodrow, I suspect, will be back here next year doing yeah, their same thing left. and trying their butts off. And that's what impressed me more than anything—the effort that these two gave every game. And it wasn't—they weren't into it every game. It was too hard to do, really too hard to do. But they certainly weren't out of it. <laughs> and um, as far as I'm concerned, Julian saw a uh, that is. He saw what was needed. He believed what was needed, and he did it. At the beginning, I thought, boy, that's a lot to give up because this Nolan Foot too, isn't going to be a bad player. And uh, I thought, wow, a first and Nolan for a and then Goodroll first and in the beginning. But, boy. Shut my mouth, that's for sure.
2: Phil, <laughs> so where do you come down on the talk about when you're a great player and you've accomplished a lot, you need to really win a Stanley Cup to solidify maybe your status in the league? Is that just a talking point, or do you feel like when you've done well, a lot of listen, things, you got to win a Marcel,
1: Cup? Marcel Dion was an unbelievable player. Never won a Cup. Okay? And... Um, There are other guys that, I remember Bill Gadsby, 20-some years, never won a cup. Terrific, terrific defenseman. Um, A lot of guys are great, great players. When I hear these people that are electing people into the Hall of Fame say, well, he didn't win a cup, so he doesn't deserve. Well, that's not true. When you elect somebody to the Hall of Fame, in my estimation, it's based on his body of work individually and with the team, but mostly individually, okay? And I don't think a criteria should be that you must win a cup to get voted into the Hall of Fame. Then why do they vote these Russians in? They never won a Hall of Fame. They never won (laughs) a cup. And I, I absolutely... Don't like when they say that because of guys like Marcel Dion come on I mean he's in the Hall of Fame and he deserves to be but when people want to put an asterisk there because he never won a Stanley Cup I think is ridiculous
0: Phil, we talked a lot through the playoff year about the Lightning's power play, which had some really hot games but then went through cold stretches. But there's no question that the power play came alive in the final. The Lightning scored seven power play goals in the six games, and they only gave up one power play goal to the Stars. But for the Lightning's power play, what did you see from from the power play that – Changed maybe from the earlier rounds where they were scuffling a little bit?
1: Well, there were two things that I. First off, it was Dallas and their different philosophy on how to cover. Now, whether that was due to the fact that uh, two of their top penalty killers were injured, I don't know. But teams that uh, are able to survive through injury are the teams that win right The cup. And secondly, I thought that the lightning moved the puck a little bit quicker, but more importantly, I thought in the last few games, they were shooting a little quicker. And you know how I am about that, David. I, yeah. I can't believe when a guy has an opportunity right there at the hash marks to shoot the puck that he chooses to pass. That happened a lot with the Lightning, but they shot it when they had, and Victor Hedman just had a phenomenal, phenomenal playoffs. He slipped a little bit in the last two games, and that's why, David, when we were done, you didn't solicit or ask me. I just said, in my estimation, I would vote for Braden Point for the for the Hall, what is it, the Conn Smite Trophy, but Point, Hedman, Kucherov, it didn't matter. Any one of those guys deserved that that accolade, and uh, and Victor won it. Very good choice because of what he did and getting those power play goals, but also scoring 10 goals in the playoffs. That's huge for a defenseman. Very good. what do you have 23 24 points
0: you know what i remember the 10 goals i don't remember how many points he had a lot of assists in the final he only had one goal i yeah. should say only one goal i mean that's still important but and that was a big yeah. goal early in the second period of game three and the lightning got on their horse after that and, and ran away with game three but uh yeah i think you're right he was in that neighborhood 23 24 points pretty good yeah he got a lot wow. of assists on those power play goals the Lightning scored.
1: Yes, he did. And, and I, and I look, there was another guy. But they were all there. I mean, Palat. I mean, I thought Palat played unbelievable.
0: 11 unbelievable.
2: goals. How about Stammer's Reed? goal? At, yes, how about Stammer's goal at 247? Played just 247. Phil, when you take a look at not being able to play and he has that moment and then looking back on winning the Stanley Cup, that's, that's going to go down as one of the great moments in Tampa Bay sports history, isn't it?
1: Listen, that's a great movie. <laughs> it really <laughs> was. Right. The way he went by Lindell, that was the move. My Lord. He went so fast by Lindell uh, uh, that it, it, it shocked Lindell. And a shot, that's a goal scorer shot, man. That's a goal scorer right there. And Stamkos is a goal scorer. And um, it was sad that he couldn't participate all, but it was absolutely fantastic that he was able, absolutely able to play at least those two minutes and 47 seconds. And I thought it was great, and he ends up scoring a goal. And I don't know, none of us will know what it is, but it's gotta be the reaggravation of his injury before. It's gotta be. It can't be anything else, in my estimation. I don't know whether he's gonna have to have surgery again, but the likelihood is yes.
0: Well, we had talked, Phil, in our pregame before game three, where we knew he was gonna be in. I remember asking you about his timing and the issues that he might have going into Game Three, and some that might be helped through practice, like his one timer, for example. You had said that's something he can practice. If they use them in the power play. He might be able to, you know, yeah. bomb away if, if they can get him the puck. How impressed were you that the goalie scored? First of all, it was not just standing still with a one timer. I mean, that required a fair amount of timing. How impressed were you that he was able? to make a play like that after not having played for like seven months. And it was his third shift of the game. Hugely
1: impressed for him to decide when he was coming down that wing, I can beat this guy. He's not coming at me very fast. I can beat him. That split second for him to decide that and then pick the corner like he did. Yeah. You can't teach anybody that. That just comes natural. And uh, it surprised me that his timing was better than I thought it would be. But then again, it was 2 minutes and 47 seconds. You didn't see the whole body work because of his injury. And I'll bet you any money on the 4-on-4 is when it started to bother him again. And the, the depression and the sadness that he must have felt and Coop must have felt maybe the players felt it too i'm pretty sure but it's pretty hard you know not to refocus on the game itself but i i hats off to Stamkos. Um, i just wish we could have known a little bit more of the injury It's very difficult when people keep asking you, what's wrong with Stamkos? If he's skating in practice, why can't he play and this and that? And when you don't have the answers, what do you do? You say, I don't know. But they ask me, okay, have you ever had anything like this? I said, no. Well, what would you do if you had it? I said, I guess if I could skate, I want to play. And so then it sort of knocks Steven a little bit, you know? I, I don't like the fact that everything's a secret. I don't understand it. I don't think people go and absolutely target somebody's injury. I don't believe that. I wouldn't believe it, and I won't believe it. Phil, before we
2: let you go, I know I'm asking you to project because we have no idea, but what's your sense for next year in terms of when they want to come back and how many people in the stands are we going to see? Because at the end of the day, this is a gate-driven league and I can't imagine Gary Bettman opening up next season without having some sort of revenue coming in with fans filling the
1: arenas. Well, I can tell you this. Um, I found out yesterday that no matter when they start, they can never go by past July 18th because of television. Whatever NBC has on their plate, it has to be done before July 18th. That strikes me. If they start December, I don't know whether they're going to start with fans. I don't know. And uh, I hope it we're able to. I really do. Um, and I just because there's nothing like fans being in the building to stimulate the players and even the broadcasters and everybody else. It, it's just a beautiful thing, actually, uh, with the fans being in there. But if they start in December and they're going to play the full 82 games, that everything will have to be done by July 18th. I don't know what the significance is of that date, but that's what I was told.
0: I believe, From Phil, very that's, because reliable, of the, I believe that's because of the Olympics. That's what I heard. You know what, David? That's what I, David, that's what that, I
1: think, bud. too. But no one told me that, so, you know.
2: We can only guess. Well, Phil, it was great catching up with you. We had fun doing the games together, even if we were all social distancing
1: from our own home. Well, I'll tell you what. It was fun to do them. It really was like that. But I prefer us sitting up there in the booth and me watching you right next to me. Drawing pictures and looking at your stupid <laughs> computer. And making you laugh David and I are working. And making you laugh. <laughs> and making uh, me laugh. That's right. I love it. I love it. Well Phil. So thank you very to, much, Greg. Have fun today. I we'll really appreciated working with you. Really did. All right. Thanks, Bill. a great
2: The Hall of Famer, Phil Esposito, joining us here on the broadcast. Always great to catch up with Phil. We'll come back and wrap up the show. Anything else you want to talk about is fair game. Back after this on Lightning Power Play.
1: This is Power
0: Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app.
2: Great having the Hall of Famer, Phil Esposito, join us. And, uh, Dave, that has to be a thrill, I know, for you. It is for me, with uh, working with the group that we have. You know, we always kind of reflect on that year in and year out the how much fun we do have in the booth and you try and still have that although it was tough because everybody was in different places but you know to win a cup uh, for the team is exciting for sure but just to be able to pull off the broadcasts that we were able to do and the way it happened and there were a lot of people like Steve that that made it such it is a great thrill to enjoy that with our team getting that done and hearing the excitement and the game call and I think, especially during the post game, but even during the game, I know for me, I just always reminded myself that, you know, kind of enjoy the moment because you never know when you're going to have an opportunity to do it again. And, you know, it probably speaks to how many people I know back home in Pittsburgh, people I hadn't spoken to in quite some time that I follow on Facebook, which probably speaks more to Facebook than anything else. But You know, these people, they they reach out to you and they say, hey, congrats, you know, a lot of fun. And I I think that part's pretty cool. But I think it's neat to experience that with our team here on the radio side and know that it doesn't happen all the time and just kind of embrace the moment.
0: That's the positive way of looking at it. I think the reality, at least for me, and I can only speak personally when I'm on the air and, and calling the game, I'm definitely focused on kind of the job at hand. But outside of calling the game. And there's a lot of time to not call the game during these playoff series days in between games or even leading up to a game, especially if the game is starting at eight or as Steve often told us, 8.20 and 30 seconds, which is well after eight o'clock. There is a lot of time to, to think and maybe get a little nervous and anxious. And the reason why you might get nervous and anxious and maybe this is stating the obvious is emotionally there is a lot at stake. Now let's put sports in perspective. It's it's an emotional stakehold for for the vast majority of us who don't have a financial interest in the the team's success or failure and you know those that do are 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 the owners, right? But for the rest of us you know you feel jubilation if the team that you follow does well and you feel quite the opposite if if it's a loss and you only need to look at jamie ben in his post-game press conference and how crushed he was because it doesn't come around often for most teams I mean, we've talked about two cups for the lightning in 16 years and yet which we would say 16 years is a long time, right? And yet, the Lightning are the first team to join the NHL beginning in the 1990s to win two Cups. There are franchises that have never won a Cup. And so you're right. I think when you're following a team or working for a team or playing on a team, certainly, that gets into the conference finals or the Stanley Cup final, you recognize the rarefied air and you do try and appreciate the moment because you recognize that it's hard to get this far. But because it's hard to get this far, you don't want to let the opportunity slip through your fingers. And that creates the anxiety, I think. And it can be stressful. I mean, there's no question, but it's the kind of stressful situation when it's over. You look back and you're like, man, that was a lot of fun. It was almost like riding a roller coaster, right? <laughs> like you're anxious when you're at the top of the, the track about to go down and, you know, you feel all of those emotions. So, again, you have said many times, Greg, the beauty of sports, the beauty of competition, it's unscripted. We don't know what we're going to get from one game to the next, even though we try and figure it out based on trends, based on how a team is playing, based on a matchup. But you got to kind of live through it and, and experience it. And, and I think that it can be nerve wracking, but it can also be incredibly gratifying. And even the deep runs, like I look back at, you know, 2018, 2016, 2015, and, and those seasons for the Lightning ended with a loss ultimately. And you got deep. The team that you were covering got deep and didn't get there. But there's still a lot of great. Moments along the way in all three of those years, earlier right (laughs) than the last game or the last couple of games. So that's what you try and take out of it, I think.
2: Did you and not that it would ever have gotten to that point, but did you ever allow yourself to think what it would be like being in that bubble for sixty-five days if they allowed broadcasters to go? I kind of think about that, and you know, we we talk about these guys get paid a lot of money. But there is a human side to it, you know. You're away from your families. Yeah. It's in the middle of a pandemic. A lot of kids are getting homeschooled right now. You that would be. Ex-
0: of... It would be extremely tough for me. It would.
2: Yeah. I, I and I, you know, with all the health issues we've all dealt with, you certainly, Dave, and your family. I mean, it's it's something that you think about, and I wonder if. Not that, not that it's the same. So please, I don't want anybody, you know, tweeting at me. But you know, do you think differently now when a player maybe misses a game because of the birth of their child? You know, sometimes that doesn't happen, or if something happens at home, a death in the family. Sometimes we see the athlete go play because it takes their mind off of it. But I'm wondering, do people get a different perspective seeing how things were done, being in a bubble for 65 days, being away from everybody, and the sacrifice? that these players did give up. I know they get paid a lot of money, and I probably came down on that side where, look, it's their job. If they tell you to play, this is what you have to do. It's not going to happen every year, but you also understand that is an incredibly difficult situation, particularly for the guys who had young kids that they were leaving behind.
0: And I don't know the right expression for this, but it was almost like it got harder with passing success, right? Yeah. So the teams that were doing well were away longer. I mean, there were some teams that were done within 10, 11 days, right? The Rangers got swept in three straight games. So they were out, but it also meant they did get to go home to their families sooner. So you also understand not that any player didn't want to win, but you do know that – if we win, it means we're gonna be in the bubble longer, right? And we're gonna be away from home longer. And you know, I, I can't even imagine how how tough it was mentally and emotionally for these guys and really everyone in the bubble, because it wasn't just the players, you know, it was it was the coaches, it was management, it was support staff, it was the trainers, it was the equipment guys, you know, Trevor Van Notzenberg handles you know, media and PR, I mean, he was there and a lot of the video that that came out that was lightning specific kind of for the lightning, I mean, he was doing that. Ryan Bellick handles the travel and a lot of the team operation stuff for for arranging when the team is away during normal times. You know, he was up there and making sure the meals were were set up for the team and, and where they needed to be and when, you know, he's away from from his wife and kids. So it wasn't just the players. And the fact that they did it and they knew what, whatever it was, they kept saying, you know, we've been in the bubble for 47 days. We've been in the bubble for 56 days and whatever it was at the end, 65 days. Like they understood how long it was and the sacrifices that were made. And that was mentioned more than once at the event at Amelie Arena last night by a number of different people who had the mic at the podium and acknowledged the sacrifices that were made not only by the players, but also their families for kind of keeping things running on the home front yeah. while the players and, and management coaches, et cetera, went up to try and win a Stanley Cup.
2: It's a It was an incredible sacrifice, which is one of the reasons why I think it might have been maybe the hardest championship to win in any sport when you start comparing, especially over the last 5, 10, 15 years, so... I wanted to end with this, though, as we transition um, closing the show at Bolts Radio, if you want to get involved in the conversation, kind of the way the Lightning Dave won the Cup this year. And I made the comment, I think we discussed this the other day, but we didn't really expand on it too much, is that the way they won the championship this year was amazing because it was a team that evolved and I thought really became coachable. Not that they weren't before, but when you're John Cooper and you have a lot of these guys for an extended number of years, you know, sometimes it's hard for that message to get through to players. It's just the reality of sports sometimes. And we had that conversation early on that sometimes the coach is the first one to be fired rather than the player, you know, when you start talking about what's wrong with a particular team. But I I think for John Cooper and his staff to talk about defense, 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 and have that be a constant reminder uh, throughout the season and for them to play the way they did in the, the playoffs and to end the series, the game clinching series with a shutout, you know, I think was a nice big exclamation point to what the Lightning were trying to accomplish this year. It doesn't always work out in sports, but this year it did.
0: Yeah, and we've talked about this before that it wasn't like the Lightning said defense, defense, defense and turned into the 2000 Devils, right? Who just trapped till the sunset and waited for the opposition to make a mistake and then pounced. They still wanted to score. I mean, they still played the game in a way that, you know, they were looking to make plays and they were looking to allow their talented offensive players to excel. The difference was more in their mindset about having a more patient approach. So sometimes, it was kind of like what, what Phil was talking about with the decision that Stamp Ghost had to make in an instant, do I try and get past Lindell? Can I beat him or not? And I mean, decisions like that happen all the time on the ice, hundreds of decisions every game. And that was not a, a, a decision that was obviously worked out for Stamp Ghost, But if he didn't make it, so what's the worst thing that happens? He gets closed off at the boards and the puck goes down the ice. I mean, it's not like you're giving up a scoring chance the other way. But sometimes you do give up a scoring chance the other way based on the decision that you might make. And it's really in that kind of metric that the Lightning made an adjustment and a shift this year. And you mentioned the, the clinching game which I think was a culmination of a commitment to their own net. But I go back to the first game, too, in the playoffs, not the round-robin, the five-overtime game against Columbus. And if the Lightning were going to be facing really good defensive teams, they were going to be put to the test to ensure that they don't take unnecessary chances that will feed into the other team's structure and allow that other team to cash in on a counter chance. A little different than playing a team that is a high-octane offense. And let's just use, for the sake of argument or example, Colorado. It's not that the Colorado Avalanche don't want to play defense. That's not it. But they have high horsepower in their offense. And if you have to face the Avalanche, there are different challenges in defending than, say, playing the Blue Jackets, who are so structured that they generate a lot of their offense from their defense. And wait, I don't say they wait for you to make a mistake, but if you make a mistake, they are ready because their structure is so sound. And we saw that in that sweep last year in 2019. And I remember as that first game against Columbus was heading into overtime, and then the second overtime, and then the third <laughs> overtime, and then the fourth overtime, etc. cetera, I was so impressed with how patiently the Lightning were playing and approaching that game. They were not going to give an inch in terms of sacrificing defense for offense. And I remember thinking, even if they lose this game, this is an indication that they know what it takes. But, you know, John Cooper said something really interesting after they won the Cup. He said he felt it was really important that they won that game. And the reason was that they got validation for playing that way. So let's say they have this patient approach in that first game against Columbus. It goes to five overtimes. And they do a great job at not sacrificing defense for offense. And they don't open up any chances for Columbus by being somewhat too risky and they lose just think of the storylines we lost to Columbus again maybe this isn't going to work etc cetera, etc cetera. instead they win the game and now it's belief it's almost what happened with Columbus last year in 2019 it's like torts was preaching to them this is the way we need to play this is the way we need to play and then they get rewarded with a dramatic from behind win in game one and it propelled them they had belief and I think the Lightning, because they won Game One, based on what Coop was talking about, they had tangible evidence that this was going to work for them. And in a way, it was almost like they needed that validation by facing these sorts of teams that playing this way would bring success, and it did. I mean, they went 16 and six in these 22 games after the round robin. Again at the risk of repeating myself against if we want to include the lightning who played really well defensively too, but certainly four of the top defensive teams in the league that required from the lightning, the same mindset, the same approach, as well as figuring out a way to generate chances. And they did that too against all four teams. So a great accomplishment, not only in terms of the bubble and the mental strain and all of that, But the quality of the opposition that they faced and the way those teams played to have success themselves required this mind shift from the Lightning, I think, that they worked on from day one of the first training camp (laughs) over a year ago to get into their game. And it paid off with with the
2: ultimate prize. It did. And that means we're going to be celebrating... All off-season, and that continues today. Dave, today is going to be fun. There's a parade, a boat parade, and then at Ray J, we all get to celebrate with the coaches and the players, and we're going to be down there starting at 6 o'clock. News Radio WFLA will carry the broadcast along with Lightning Power Play. Ryan Gorman and I are going to be together doing a show, but Dave, you're going to be down there too, and I think we're going to have you on whenever uh, we get a chance to have you on because you have some other commitments down there, and it's going to be a lot of fun, and... Steve will be down there as well, and we look forward to interacting with the fans. Social distancing, of course. Of course. Because that's what uh, we need to do. Well, Dave, I'll see you tonight. Yep. See you in a few hours, Greg. You got it. Steve Ersnick there, and if you're down in the area at Ray J, look for us, and we'll say hi, because that's what we do. I'm Greg Lanelli. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be with you again tomorrow for another edition of Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play.